one of the things that's really interesting is that uh, I've always compared marketing to dating. Hmm? You know, there's that same kind of that same kind of attraction needs to happen in hmm. our marketing as if we were, you know, trying to attract an, uh, a relationship. Success. Eyes that mock our sacred institutions. Bedroom eyes, they call them in a bygone day. Sex desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is the desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill. Welcome to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast, where it's all about getting it up and keeping it up. And yes, we're talking about revenue and profit. We know that it's all about the six inches between your ears. So I interview some of the hottest people in the industry that are blowing and going so that we can help you get some action. So if you like a little tongue in cheek and not just physically, you're in the right place. Today, we are jumping in bed with my most amazing guest, Franklin. Franklin, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> wouldn't be anywhere else. Thank you very much. <laughs> love it. I am just in love with your voice so that no matter what we talk about, you could read the yellow pages and this is going to be an awesome podcast. <laughs> cool. I'll, I'll pick up my checkbook and start reading here. <laughs> All right. So give everybody the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. And I'm going to talk like that the whole show now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who I am and what I do for business. Um, I am, uh, oh, uh, that, that was easy question. You know, this is the easy question, right? If I've stumped you already on that one, it's just, <laughs> well, one of the things that I am is I, I call myself sometimes the elevator pitch doctor. Mm, I like that. <laughs> it's almost like elevator music, but a little different. Yeah. Well, make your uh, elevator pitch. So it's elevator music to their ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my elevator pitch. Let's see. Today, what my elevator pitch is, is that uh, I am a, a jack of many trades and a master of a few. And I love, I love marketing and I love business and I love entrepreneurship and I love music and I love production and I love this and I love that and I love... <laughs> podcasting and I love talking to people like Mich like Michelle. And so, so what I, spend I hear my you days... saying is you're a little polyamorous when it comes to your uh, endeavors. Oh my God. Uh, that is absolutely <laughs> on point. Thanks. Yes, I am. Um, I am definitely polyamorous in all, all of my pursuits. Uh, yes. Yeah, your marketing is going to be totally different after the show. I'm, I'm seeing 
little inklings of it already. <laughs> well, one of the things that's really interesting is that uh, I've always compared marketing to dating. Hmm? You know, there's that same kind of that same kind of attraction needs to happen in our marketing as if we were, you know, trying to attract an, uh, a relationship. Right. So it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't see it as very different. In fact, it's one of the things that I, I came across probably entirely too late in my business career was the whole idea that all marketing is about, is about humans having relationships and that those relationships then can lead to, you know, some kind of a, a transactional, uh, situation, but it's a relationship nonetheless, and it forms just like any other relationship, you know, same stages, different context. Absolutely. And I think too, it's interesting to me that we are in the past have been so reluctant to mention attraction in relationships. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you, if you're repelled by somebody, you wouldn't do business with them, but yeah. all of a sudden attraction gets a sexual connotation to it. And it's like, oh, I'm attracted to you. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like right? all of a sudden it's like too much, too much. <laughs> Not that kind. Well, yeah. I think one of the things that's really interesting is like, it's been pigeonholed, you know, mm-hmm. just like we do everything else. It's like we, we create these uh, pretty solid walls around our experiences and uh, don't let our experiences inform each other as much as we could. God knows why. Right. And well, and my job here is to melt down those walls. I'm not going to break down anything. We're going to melt yeah. those suckers. We're going to get hot in the room. <laughs> We're <gonna laughs> melt those because I think it really is important. I think there is a direct co- correlation to, to confidence, power, money, um, intrigue, curiosity, sexuality. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's when you really understand who you are and what you bring to the table and you have boundaries on those that um, that that becomes incredibly attractive to other people. And I think that is kind of the X factor that people are looking for when they're doing business with each other. And to your point, I think that has to come across in your marketing, especially mm. now, because oh, if you are too vanilla in your marketing and don't get me wrong, I love French vanilla, but not kind of <laughs> the boring <laughs> <laughs> no flavored vanilla. Um, that that's that's where people are uh, falling flat in their marketing, and they don't yeah. realize why. It's not that they have to be overtly sexual in their marketing, like I no. am. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'm yeah, just whatever expanding works, right? the boundaries so that everybody else has permission to be able to fall where they may inside of those. Uh. <laughs> Michelle, you have a way of always becoming the most interesting person in the room. That's the beautiful thing. I, primarily, it's just because I say shit. Nobody else has something to say. I think <laughs> we all think it. that. You know, we I used to tease. They used to call me filterless, and it was I would say the things that everybody else was thinking, but nobody else would say out loud. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think that that is the way that marketing really needs to be approached: is to go ahead and let your flag fly. You know, whether it's a freak flag or a a weirdo flag or whatever kind of flag you got. Pirate flag, Put it out you know, there. whatever you yeah. got. <laughs> but I really feel like that there is something to that because, you know, um, I, I believe that people are really attracted to, I, I think they're attracted on an energetic level for one thing. 
and the energetic level if you're if you're showing any kind of a split in your energy there's nothing for people to to relate with mm. right and it's like if you're not out there putting yourself out there as you are then it's going to be really difficult and i think what'll happen is that the results that you get are going to be pretty disappointing and mixed but what i found is that if i get out there and i just kind of show my true colors um the right people gravitate toward me absolutely and i think that splitting in the personality people can somehow feel it and they're just not sure how that other part is going to come around and yeah. it's like well is that part going to try and use me is that other part trying to you know shy away from me is that other part not like me does that other part not and we just don't know what it is but we know it's out there somewhere and yeah. uh and i think too a lot of people say you have to be concise you have to be authentic you have to be they're using all these words and really it's a matter of you know what are you trying to hide from your audience yeah. and then figure out a way to get that out so that you're not ashamed of it or embarrassed of it or whatever of it anymore yeah. because people really can't feel it if it's i have to pay the rent they feel that if it's uh if i'm getting a divorce they feel it and that's got nothing to do with them and they don't care but if you're like oh i got to keep this separate and away they know that there's something separate in a way they yeah. just don't know what it is but if it's like you're getting a divorce like i don't care <laughs> if you do what you do you that's awesome yeah. and carry on and then let's go do business so it's figuring yeah, right. out kind of what that shadow is that we're we're blocking from people and just realizing we don't need to block it anymore well I'm they pretty, don't care um... I'm pretty upfront about the fact that I failed a lot more than I've succeeded, but every failure has been a lesson or some kind of an education, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've experienced bankruptcy a couple of times and one of them came around because I would, I went, I decided to go without health insurance for a while. Now as a Canadian, you probably don't feel that pain as well. But, no, um, thank God. <laughs> But here in the U.S., it's like I thought I was a healthy man, and turns out that uh, about six months later, uh, I wasn't healthy again. And for the next three years, I was in and out of hospitals. And thankfully, my family stepped in, took care of everything. But that set me up for just some tragic stuff, you know. Well, yeah, and your guys' bills can rack up substantially harder, faster. Yeah. My savings Wilder. was gone in a week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is crazy. And I mean, I kind of understand why parents want their kids to become doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Medical system in the States. Canadians, not so much so. It's like, eh, yeah, do right. what you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing that's really interesting, though, is like if, if I'm really upfront with people and just say, you know, I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. I, I am not the guy who's going to give you a blueprint that's based on everybody else's success. Mm. We're going to go deep. We're going to find the thing that works for you. And I'm willing to wrestle with that until it pops. That's your, I'm your guy. If you want to go to that length, great. If you want a blueprint, go ahead and sign up for Brandon Bouchard's program. He's got great blueprints. But you may find that you spend $10,000 and don't get anywhere, you know? And, and there's a lot of sexual connotations towards, you know, 
playing with something long enough until it pops. Uh, there's a, <laughs> yes, there are <laughs> sounds so much more satisfying at the end of that relationship, than buying a template. <laughs> I don't know how much it costs, but it sounds a lot more intriguing. Um, uh, yeah, there we go. Well, and I think too, it, it really is important that people realize that there are a lot of programs out there that charge a lot of money with the assumption that if you put money into it, you're going to get something out. You're going to make the effort to get something out of it, which I appreciate on one hand. And um, quite frankly, I think it's scam on the other side. I think people that charge anything, if you're charging yeah. somebody for something, you have an obligation to give them <laughs> the value you said you were going to give them, yeah. um, period, end of story, whether or not they've gone and searched for it or not. I mean, they could, they <laughs> I could unpack that so many different ways, but I think there is a truism to when when somebody's willing to work with you until you figure out kind of what the thing is that you need, yeah. that to me is so much more valuable and so much more personal. And, um, and that guarantee alone becomes exponentially substantial. It's, you know, it's not just that you're here for the hours that you're here till the happy ending. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's just it. It's like, I want to, and and quite honestly, I'm not going to guarantee a result ahead of time. What I am going to guarantee is that as we work, you're going to become clear and that clarity is going to help you make great decisions, you know? And it's like, you may decide that business really isn't what you want to do. Well, then what? Let's get clear about that and get you on a path that actually fits what, what you really love, you know? I'm not going to, I'm not going to force you in a direction just because, you know, everybody thinks you should, or even you think you should, I'm going to ask you the, the questions that help you decide, is this really, is this really what I'm about? You know, those are the things that I'm interested in. And it kind of comes back to somebody that's told they should be a doctor because there's a lot of money in it. And there is. And yeah. is that really the lifestyle you want? Because yeah. once you've, I had a habit as a, as a youth to go and get a, a degree or an education in something and then go and do my practicum and then realize whether or not I really wanted to do it. And then I found out you could just volunteer and like shadow somebody <laughs> and find that out in like a day. Yeah, <laughs> like, that would have saved actually, me so much time, effort, and money. You didn't actually have to invest in those classes and spend all that money, right? Yeah. Right. Could, if if only we had those years back, right? There was there was one time on this, and I think it's funny and um, poignant to this point. So I took dental assisting because there was this whole four-year trajectory of what had to happen and and how the clouds would part and the angels would sing and this was going to be the end all and the be all and so i'm going through this program and i'm bored out of my mind we go to the university and we're walking through the hallways where the um the professor professors for dentistry are and i see a skull on outside of one office and this is after hours so everybody's gone almost and I said, wow, that's fantastic. And didn't realize the door was open and, and the professor was in there. And he goes, do you know what that is? I said, yeah, it's a baby elephant. He goes, how do you know that? I said, the teeth. He goes, nobody said that. <laughs> how can nobody say that? Of course, it's a baby elephant. I'm like, what are they, idiots? <laughs> he looks at me and goes, why are you here? And I said, oh, I'm with the dental assistants. He goes, why are you a dental assistant? I said, something to do. 
<laughs> I needed I needed a job. Yeah. And then we started talking about he was a maxillofacial surgeon and I was fascinated. So we were there and I was there for like half an hour talking to him. Meanwhile, of course, I had lost my entourage. Of course. And I'm like, I want to be a maxillofacial surgeon. This is fantastic. But I didn't want to go through four years of university for it. Yeah. Um, so I had this whole plan of how that was going to happen. But it's those moments that kind of when it lights you up and you're like, oh, my God, that that half hour conversation felt like a minute. <laughs> I said, well, lost my class. Um, when people can follow careers in that aptitude and that passion and that excitement, it's so much better than going, oh, yeah, I have a job and it pays. And yeah. And with my boyfriend and living in the right area. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible reason, by the way, if you ever, <laughs> I mean, it's not a terrible reason to follow somebody because you fall in love with them. Just, you know, if it breaks up three months or three weeks after you've pa- unpacked all your stuff, just don't be shocked. <laughs> yeah. Three days yeah. after you've <laughs> you might want to, <laughs> you were meant to plan. be in that city for a different reason. <laughs> That's all yeah. Backup plan. <laughs> plan exactly. B, plan C, plan D. Uh, FG, I think I've made it to Z at this point. Oh, wow. Cool. I have 28 so different pivots. So yeah, I've gone through the alphabet and then so. You're doing the alphabet again. You're doing the double A's, the double B's, the double C's. I'm working on double D. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Um, but we don't, we don't need to talk about that now, do we? <laughs> It's all about me and my pursuits. So when when it comes to kind of the business coaching and the marketing side of things, how did you stick with that one? How how did that become your passion? Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that feed into it. I think part of it is that I think the marketing aspect is one of the more creative aspects of business. Mm-hmm. And I'm attracted to creativity. I just think that life is really all about that for me. And any way that I can find to to bring creativity into the fore is, is important to me. That's a core value. But um, the other thing that I think appeals to me about marketing is that it is about relationships. And relationships are important to me as well. And it's like, um, you know, I, I've really, I've had to kind of step back a little bit over the last few years with uh, all the digital marketing and content marketing things that are going on. And everybody is talking about that content is king. Well, content is crap if there's no relationship on the other end of it. And it's like content is the connection. Content is the content is the, you know, way that I send an arrow across to you and you send an arrow back to me. And we create this thing that makes this stuff possible, right? I'm sure innuendo is coming in like right and left right now. (laughs) But I think that that's really the way that I look at it. It's like the relationship is really the royalty in the room and everything else has to serve that. So the creative content that I bring to the table is all about building a really good relationship with the client. And um, so those are the, those are the things about marketing that I really get, get turned on by, you know? Nice. Don't just be shooting at people across the room. That's yeah, not, right. That's not really the whole relationship. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Different yeah. kind of arrow. <laughs> well, I, I think you need to, uh, well, I don't think you need to. I think, though, playing on that, the connection is king and content is um, the start. You yeah. you had a, a nice alliteration there. To be able to 
market that yourself and and stand out that um if you're not using that already that was a good one i like that one um because it does help you to stand out and and i think people are moving towards the relationship side of things there was a point where people wanted to figure out how to make money on this online thing and they figured it out and they figured out substantially well i mean yeah made a ton of money by being able to do what he did and that was the goal right and everybody looked at and went well that's the goal but then if you're a client of one of those kinds of um marketing things it's you got your thing and you're done and that was it like you've spent your money and now you're done because there's no nurturing because none of the software none of the anything the intention wasn't to nurture that relationship it wasn't to kind of upsell you after that initial purchase it was just wham bam thank you man and and like you're out of here yeah and i think we kind of started to feel that and then it became prolific in the back end and Nobody really knew why it was happening, but they felt it. And anybody that was in the digital marketing world went, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> well, not anybody, but yeah. those of us who did were like, yeah, we're okay without that. That's good. Thanks. Um, yeah, and now now there's just such a glut of content that the thing that, that we have to have is someone who can sort it for us and make sense of it and put in front of us the stuff that we really need or that's really relevant and that's becoming harder and harder. Well, and that's where that unique relationship is coming from because it's not just because I'm in this stage of my business, I need this, that, and the other thing. It's I'm in this stage of my business. I want to go this direction. I want to have this lifestyle. I want to have this thing. And and my path is going to be unique. And this is how I want to treat my clients. And this is how I want to nurture that relationship. And this is what I think is important at the end of the day. And that becomes uniquely you, which is why you have to work with somebody like Franklin that can work with you and have the patience to go through that because sometimes we get really, I get really frustrated when I can't find my message that I want to get out and it's just not hitting. It's not landing. It's not, it's not quite right. And somebody has to have the patience to sit with me and and drag it out and go, it's okay, chill, relax. We'll figure it out and, and it'll happen. And then eventually it pops and you're like, yes, that's the one. Okay. I can run with that for a little bit. And then, you know, you hit the next wall, and try and well, figure out how to navigate that. That actually kind of reminds me of another reason that I really love marketing. It's like I started out in this world uh, kind of in the direction of professional music. Um, and I was a songwriter, still am a songwriter. And the thing that I always loved about songwriting was that you had to put a story into this extraordinarily short form, but it had to go somewhere. It had to make sense. And there had to be a payoff. There had to be a reason to listen. And marketing is the same thing, you know? If you're writing copy for your ads or for your sales pages, it's the same kind of a thing. You're you're telling a story very quickly, but it's mm-hmm. compelling, and there's a payoff in there somewhere. And it's like those crossovers I found to be really appealing and interesting as well, you know? Right, and just kind of begs the question, where did jingles go in our marketing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a whole story there. I could we we could have a whole show just about that because um uh Jingles Jingles died in 1986 and um they just they they died a slow death. Um there's still a few around but I think most of those died when um when broadcasts got consolidated. 
especially in the U.S., like we had one company that owned all of the broadcast channels. And at that point, the opportunities for jingles went away. Really? Why? Well, because there were there was uh, one company that was doing all of the hiring, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that actually happened more in the mid '90s when uh, when the Broadcast Act was was signed, and it allowed media companies to buy as many outlets as they wanted, and it made the uh, it made the the broadcast scene, in, especially in America, um, really hom homogenous, and when that happened all of the opportunities that we had at the local level to do jingles um, were handled now by one company in New York or Denver or Houston. And now those, like there was a significant part of the music business that was tied to that, that no longer exists. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Crazy, but true. Right. So one of the ways that I made made money when I was in college was playing jingle sessions. And the really cool thing was as a, as a union member, those sessions paid 108 bucks an hour. So I could schedule two days of sessions during the week and still go to school and not lose a thing and, and be rolling in Clover enough that I could actually afford a pretty, pretty decent car. And I could have probably afforded to buy a house then too, but I was too stupid to do it. <laughs> but that I'm went away. Back when houses were 200 grand, 50 grand, you're like, oh. Yeah. But Those opportunities no. have largely gone away. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's some in the States. In, in Canada, they're, his, they're one with Jurassic Park. But there are still <laughs> some opportunities in the state. Well, and you might not want to live with them necessarily, but you could use them as a uh, investment opportunity. But that's another show. Because totally. um, I didn't realize until recently that Disney owns like a ton of news outlets. Like I think the only one that owns more is the Mormon church, but we won't go there. <laughs> like a ton. Like <laughs> Disney news. No, uh. like, no. How does that work? But I guess it kind of sort of makes sense that if you're in the business of people and actors and you just, it's kind of a sort of a feed in, you know, it's going to make money forever. You can, you know, keep buying them and keep making money off them. It's, it's kind of like the residential houses for BlackRock. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, one of the things that I find very interesting is that, you know, all of the changes that have happened industry-wise have been driven by changes in technology mm -hmm. and technology becoming more powerful and more affordable and more, more competent at... Uh, at helping creative people do their tasks. It's like, I've got an amazing array of tools at my disposal, but everybody else does too, mm -hmm. right? And so the competition for those fewer and fewer um, advertising opportunities is really intense. And most of those now go to the like Bruce Springsteen, and Neil Young and, and Kanye West. It's like, they're the ones that have the name and they're the ones that the big leagues can bring in. Mm -hmm. So a guy like me with my really cool home studio and my really cool guitar, all I can do is like podcast intros for beautiful women. <laughs> well, and, and beautiful women appreciate you all over the world. I assure you. <laughs> uh, 
Well, and I think it is kind of funny too that Kanye West broke through the the 80s rule of music um, because there does seem to be a, like the 80s was the kind of last hurrah of um, before Napster. <laughs> making, well, the thing that's really cool, the, money. The, the, the thing that I find compelling about his story and so many other stories, especially in hip hop, mm-hmm. was that those those producers started in their bedrooms with a Mac and GarageBand, and they were just putting beats together and selling their beats. They actually, they created a middle class for themselves for about 10 years. I don't know that they have the same level of opportunity that they once did, but that's how they got started. And the technology facilitated that, right? Yeah. Cool. (laughs) It is. And it all changes. And I heard the most I don't know if it was devastating part yeah, but it was um, a company. I think it was a restaurant. It might have been something along the lines of the Hard Rock Cafe, where we're announcing their 25th anniversary, and they're like, "Yeah, we're celebrating our birth way back when CDs were in binder cases." And I'm like, "Dude, I have cassettes." <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Not only do I have CDs and binder cases, what is that? <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh my God! Right off the screen. Yeah, that's that dates us, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. And somebody else said something, and I said, "Oh yeah, that was only you know since '90s." And they're like, "Yeah, I was born in 2008." And I'm like, "Oh, right, okay." (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Nine. It wasn't just ten years ago. Like, no, it wasn't. (laughs) I am now officially in probably the oldest generation alive <gasps> what no my mom and dad are still alive okay you're, you're not in, you're not in they're the category. real boomers i'm not a real boomer no they're not they're... boomers they are oh, they aren't. my they're parents there. are in their 90s so they are well oh my, my gosh, dad officially turns generation. 90 on the 19th hmm? their greatest generation then huh? they are the what did they call them they were post-war post-World yeah. War II, but, well, he was born Pretty in the boomer. 30s. Um, okay. That was my dad, too. They have another name, and I keep forgetting. The Silent Generation or something really attractive. That's it. You've got it. <laughs> what a terrible yeah. name. No kidding. But kind of appropriate. So getting back to you, who do you love Hello. to serve and support now? I'm assuming it's not the Silent Generation or Boomers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting a lot of the folks that seek me out tend to be a little bit older. Yep. Um, many of them have a project that they want to accomplish. And they've just, they've got an idea. They're not quite sure what to do with it. Um, nice. Example, there was a woman a few years ago who's 70, I think she was 72 or 73 at the time. Mm-hmm. She wanted to have a YouTube channel. Fine. <laughs> So I helped her set up a YouTube channel, right? That's awesome. And I've had a bunch of people that have wanted to write a book. Yeah. But they had had negative experiences with book coaches. And so they wanted to have some help with their book, but they didn't want to have it with a, with specifically a literary coach. Hmm. That was an interesting proposition, but it was a very yeah. good learning opportunity for me. Right. Nice. Um, well, and I think you bring up a good point that a lot of baby boomers in particular are getting to the point where they want to leave a legacy. 
Yes. And it's like, I got, I've got the music inside me. I got to get it recorded. And, and maybe it is the birth of kind of that, um, the home cottage industry of, of books and music and, and, and all the things that, you know, they thought they had to kind of pursue the career. And now they're like, wow, but how do I get this out? How do I kind of bring this to fruition? I knew, um, yeah. A, a woman who had uh, reading wings and beautiful story of teaching people all over the world. She was famous, wrote um, famous books, like best-selling books on how to get kids to read and comprehend more importantly, yeah. based on stories and making sure that the stories fit their experiences because we were expecting, you know, the white middle-class family were expecting you know, native kids to understand what we were talking about and be able to read the book, you know, with perfect articulation. It's like, I don't even know what that thing is. Like, why, why? But if they gave, she gave them books that were about Cree kids and their stories and the kids were like reading within days. Yeah. Like they could go from illiterate to reading in days articulately because the stories were pertinent to their circumstances. And she took this to Africa, South America, everywhere around the world, being able to raise literacy based on understanding other kids. And she's like, how do I bring this to the table? And like, yeah. other than, you know, spending a lot of money on it, I'm not really sure. Um, and it was, it was kind of sad to see because she was so worldly known, but there is something missing in the, in the business acumen side of things to be able yeah. to get that out there. And I think what you're doing is fantastic and helping people to bring that, just kind of bring it out and get it out there to, uh, cause the world needs it again. I think we need jingles. Yeah. I think we need stories. We need. Oh, absolutely. And I think even more now than ever before, I think those human connections are becoming more and more essential, more and more critical. And we've got to get them out into the world and we've got to, we've got to be able to, you know, show these, show these examples of human creativity. You were given that inspiration for a reason and it doesn't matter if it's a bestseller or not, but some, at some level you were inspired and it needs to come out. Most of the people that I work with have had an idea that's been on the back burner. Some of them since they were a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of the albums that I produced back in the old times when I was a, a record producer were for people who were in their sixties and they had been playing music since they were a teenager and they had always wanted to do an album and they'd been writing songs for years, but they were really intimidated by the whole process of going into the studio and being vulnerable on a microphone and, you know, putting themselves out there in a, in a pretty unique, creative and vulnerable way. And I was able to help them to feel safe enough that they could actually do that. Nice. You know? So it was that's all good. Awesome. And that's another part of it. I think uh, as, as we look at business, I think one of the things that we as business owners really have to ensure mm -hmm. is that the people that we're reaching out to not only need to know, like, and trust us, we need to have a pretty impeccable level of safety with each other. You know, and that safety, I think, gets overlooked a lot of the time. Yes, it does. And I think, too, that we we are in such a 
here and now kind of society that we forget that, that the the Van Goghs of the world weren't fully appreciated until well after we were gone. Yeah. But if he hadn't painted when he painted, we wouldn't yeah. have the awesomeness that is. Um, it's crazy. So it's being able to just, you know, trust that inner inkling and get it out because there nobody paints the way you do. Nobody sings the way you do. Nobody writes the way you do. Nobody articulates the way you do. Nobody you know, has the moxie the way you do or, you know, whatever it is that you're bringing yeah. to the table. It's like listening to the same song by two different artists, same song, same melody, but it just packs a different punch. I always believe that inspiration is invoked and it's not invoked by the, by the creator. It's invoked by the person who's waiting for that creation. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always look at that, you know, if, if you've got a gift or if you've got an inspiration to share, that's actually being invoked by something outside of you and it's meeting a very real need. So pay attention to it and honor it and do something about it. And don't worry about if it sells a hundred million copies or not, just honor the fact that it happened at all and do something with it. Be sure to celebrate with us because we love celebrating with you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Love it. Yes, indeed. It makes me kind of think of um, Shakespeare in the park where uh -huh. um, when they had them here, everybody that had anything, any liking of Shakespeare, any anything of Shakespeare would come out and put up their tables, their booths, bring their towels or the blankets and set up shop kind of thing. And it was so much fun to go through yeah. and see just kind of how Shakespeare had influenced so many people today and, and, and bringing it out. And if we can, you know, bring all these people that have these awesome stories, whether it's their songs and then have them all, you know, bringing their songs to the public and singing them, even though, you know, it's, um, they may not think that you know, they, they deserve the stage. It's like, yeah, we think you deserve the stage. Come on, let's see it. We want to, we want to celebrate this. I think that'd be fun. The other people that I care about are people who have reached a turning point and they know it, but they're yeah. not quite sure where they're turning. Those people I have a lot of compassion for. Yeah. Oh. That's fun. We, we like the fork in the road because it's, um, well, it's intriguing. Yeah, <laughs> so new possibilities. There's no other word right? for that. It's like, yeah, I get it. You can't see around the corner. That's the whole point. That's that's where the fun comes in. For those of us with a curiosity fetish, it, it just is <laughs> endlessly, endlessly uh, fulfilling. I love it. So I know our audience is going to want more from you. How do they start that journey with you? I have a blog. It's at franklintaggart.com. T-A-G-G-A-R-T, not E-R-T, please. A-R-T. Don't earn on them. Art on them. Don't earn. Yeah. It's, it's like art. Tag art. Um, I have a podcast. That's called a really good own. one. You should actually have like a little hashtag tag art. art. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. That's, that's actually a pretty good, good thing to do. Um, I also have a podcast called Your Own Best Company. And Michelle has been a recent guest on that podcast. That, that episode should be released in a couple of weeks. Yay. Um, and I also have very recently made a book. I'm not going to call myself an author because author would be a stretch in this case, what? but it's called uh, straight from the bot's mouth. 
and it is a conversation with ChatGPT about artificial intelligence. Um, and it's a two-hour interview that I did with ChatGPT about AI and about all of the concerns and questions that I had about it. That's awesome. It's available. <laughs> it's available now on Amazon. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> awesome. We will have links to the book and the podcast and uh, how to get a hold of Franklin because he's awesome. Excellent. Feelings are it. mutual, my dear. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really so, feel lucky that we've uh, run across each other. Awesome. You're adorable. So tell me, how do you get it up and keep it up in, in business? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> at my age, <laughs> business. <laughs> runs eternal i'm it doesn't it doesn't have the same kind of placidity <laughs> that life has or that age has well i would say that um my little blue pills for business are that it's always changing and always um it's always curiosity evolving. is your little blue pill oh yeah case. yeah absolutely I have no question about that. And then the other thing is that I just love um, a, a, a big part of my work activity is still production. I still do video courses and, and online video and stuff like that. And the thing that I always just love about that is just the intrinsic reward of seeing a product after I've spent some time doing something. Uh -huh. So, that so are you still... Too you know, mixing and shaking things up and editing and all that kind of fun stuff like production. I do a little bit. I don't do a lot of music production anymore. Um, my ears uh, are, are suspect, um, <laughs> but I've been doing a lot of like online course production and online mm -hmm. video editing and stuff like that. I don't do a lot of that now as client work. Mm -hmm. Most of it I'm doing as contract work for like the business development center and for you know, other kinds of um, business serving organizations. Nice. Um, so I, my production schedule is about two days a week and I have to squeeze my podcast into that. And uh, <laughs> priorities, man, it's all good. Yeah, I love totally, it. Totally, right? Well, so and, and your hearing is probably like eight times better than any of ours <laughs> still, <laughs> despite the 80s. <laughs> well, there's a reason that I still wear headphones all the time. And that is, it's too loud in the room. Huh. Um, and it's just right in my headphones. There you go. Just right. They're like little noise canceling. My brain noise cancels. <laughs> oh, does it really? <laughs> We're not listening to that. God, yeah, oh. I wish I had that. <laughs> That's awesome. Franklin, you've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for peeps? Well, I just want you to make sure that you... Uh, subscribe to this podcast, that you review this podcast, and that you tell all of your friends about the little little blue pill for business and the greatness that Michelle is. Aw, thank you. That's so sweet. So peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec, your mistress in business. Thank you for being here today. Be sure to subscribe to the show, like you said, invite your friends so we can help you get it up when you need me because I love holding you up. Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. 
If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side. Thank you.